0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of cool things entrepreneurs do as many of you know who have read my blog over time cool things entrepreneurs do came from a weekly blog post that I wrote for over two years called cool things my friends do and my friend James Hahn told me that should be a podcast and I thought you know do I really just want to interview my friends or should I take this larger and it evolved itself into cool things entrepreneurs do. But for these first few episodes, it seems that I'm interviewing my friends. So we're having cool things my friends do with a lot of entrepreneurs who I know. And I'm really excited today because two things. One is instead of doing an interview over the phone or over Skype, I am actually sitting in my kitchen with one of my very good friends, Jessica Pettit.
1: Hi!
0: And we are actually doing a face-to-face interview When, uh, uh, here in my kitchen. So, we're gonna chat a little bit about cool things that Jessica does in her business.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. Tom, thanks thanks for shaving.
0: Thanks for, yeah, we're sitting very close together using one microphone. (laughs) So, uh, Jessica, uh, tell people a little bit about your business and what you do, and maybe a little bit about the journey that you took to become an entrepreneur.
1: Absolutely. So uh, my professional path was to work as a college administrator on a college campus, working specifically with diversity issues and developing college students. So that's what my master's is in. And I worked on a number of different campuses, and um, who knew that it was going to be a really controversial work? And so, as those appointment opportunities changed, which is a way I'm just saying I'm getting
0: fired a lot. This the the, happen- oper- the change of opportunities yes. is that what it was? As the opportunities began to change, and what it really meant is they said, "Jessica, there's the door."
1: Right, or you know, Jessica, give me your keys. Was really more the language, but anyway, yes. So. Um, I worked as a college administrator, stood up for students, advocated for students, and continue to do that around issues of diversity or inclusion or things like that. So one of the last times that I got fired towards the end, I began to notice a pattern, as we say in diversity, work. I literally was stuck in traffic on Tempe, or in Tempe on Priest. In Arizona. In Arizona. Sweating, hot, not good. And uh, I looked out the passenger window in bumper to bumper traffic, and there was this building with this big sign that said National Speakers Association.
0: And you had ne- you had never heard of the National Speakers Association. You you didn't even know there were speakers.
1: No, I didn't know what that I didn't know what that that was a thing. Now what's interesting is is that in my job I booked speakers all the time, but I had never heard of the National Speakers Association, nor had I ever thought about me doing any kind of work. Um, re- relevant to this, so I eventually, you know, after an hour and moved four feet, I got to the parking lot. I parked, and then I went inside because they had air
0: conditioning. So you're on the freeway, and you see the sign that says National Speakers Association, and you pull off and go into the building.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm an accurate person for facts, so it was more of a residential neighborhood. But yes, that's basically the premise. So I go in, and I walk in, and I said, uh, What is it? What What's this about? And they explained it a little bit to me. I got kind of like confused slash excited, took a lot of pamphlets, went home, went to the website, printed off like a ream of paper, and uh, not the most environmental choice, but at least it was recycled paper, and uh, decided if I'm going to have a hard time working within the bureaucracy of a university, but I still really wanted to help people have difficult conversations and get over themselves, like get over any of their excuses they have, I feel like I had to do something, which probably meant taking my own advice as well. And so I kind of hung a shingle on the door. What I began to realize slowly was the stand-up comedy that I did in New York, the workshop facilitations that I do, emceeing, keynotes, those are actually people's jobs, not just part of someone's job. So that gave me a little bit more confidence, and I started telling people that I was available, and that was nine years ago. And now, um, speaking, consulting,
0: facilitating difficult conversations, and seeing is my full-time gig. So really, just that one traffic jam changed the ent- tra- entire trajectory of your life?
1: Pretty much, yeah. Um, it gave me the, it, it really gave me the opportunity to realize that, one, what is it that I really, really want to do? And two, if I can't do it within current systems, how do I do it on my own? Which is
0: entrepreneurship. So you started off speaking to college students because that's what you had done. that's what you had done in your job.
1: Right. I'm from Texas, dance with the one that brung you.
0: So, so tell me a little bit about how your business started and where it evolved.
1: Sure. So I started working um, primarily on college campuses. I would consider myself more of a workshopper, half day seminar kind of person. I like to call it holding the bowl so that the people, the participants can kind of learn whatever it is they need to learn. And um, I started getting kind of pitched to other people as a keynoter, which I was like, I don't know about that. So I just took like the themes of all the different workshops that I do and strung it together with a little bit of comedy and a little bit of current events. And then started doing primarily keynotes, maybe with a breakout workshop. And then, what's been interesting, and we were talking about this earlier, but my audience of college students, oddly, they are growing up. And uh, as they're starting to get jobs, I'm starting to be able to move into more organization, association, or corporate work uh, to keep those difficult conversations going and bring some fun and levity to topics that are usually pretty scary in the
0: workplace environment, um, which I'm also really excited to do. So what is your favorite part from going from you know, being a cog in a wheel where obviously you were butting heads in the different universities that you worked at to actually working for yourself? What's the coolest part of being an entrepreneur? Uh,
1: two things come to mind instantly. So the first one is, is when you use the term butting heads, what is really exciting now is that I get paid to tell people the truth, whereas when I worked within a particular system, I often lost my job for telling the truth. Um, now I just get on an airplane, so if it's too much, then it's like bye, see you later. Um, so <laughs> it, it's it's now like a, a bonus and a, a way to start and keep a conversation going. Um, so I find that people come to me now for the truth, and come to me over a long period of time. Like I have long-standing relationships with people who need truth. So that's been really exciting because I haven't had to change, for lack of better words, I haven't had to change my character. Or what I'm bringing to the table, I just consistently get to do that now. The other piece that I like, and this is actually from Meg Hirschberg's book for Better or for Work. Um she's the spouse of one of the founders of Stonyfield Yogurt. I think I'm saying that right. And um, <coughs> excuse me, the the book is about wor- working with or being married to or partnered with an entrepreneur. And one of my favorite quotes from that book, is the greatest thing about being self-employed is you get to pick which 22 hours a day you work.
0: Well, and that's true. And those of us who, who work for ourselves realize that you, know, you, you don't get a lot of time off because you're always working in your business and on your business. So I imagine, since I actually know Jessica from our involvement in the National Speakers Association. I met her three years ago, and we've become really close friends. you know, you are married and our business does take us on the road a lot, so there's some downsides to the life of an entrepreneur. How do you balance sort of the the ups with the downs of being on the road as much as you are?
1: Um, I do recommend not getting partnered up with someone who's super, super needy, um, or at least not needy in too much of a physical contact kind of way. <laughs> so luckily my partner is a really independent human being, Um, also has a really time-consuming job, and we both work on an academic calendar. So during the academic year, um, sometimes it's making a sandwich, either for me or for my partner, and it's the little things that kind of help and keeps us going. And then when school is not in session, neither of us are working and we are on vacation together. And our personalities work really well that way. One of Some of the things that I do, and these are some tips, I think, for some other people who may travel a lot. But um, my partner really likes weather. he's very interested in weather, and uh, I call them wildlife reports. So pretty much everywhere I go, I use the hotel stationery and write home or a postcard or a letter and describe what it was like that day, um, a fun bird I saw, even if it was in a mall parking
0: lot. Um, and that, that's <laughs> yes, because the mall the mall parking lots are some of the best bird watching, apparently.
1: Well, uh, for the record, there's a lot of food left in parking lots, so yeah, birds do like it. It's a tip.
0: So um you know, I also am on the road a lot, and my wife has actually uh, come to the fact of being very supportive of the travel that I do. And I think we try She's when excited to get you out of the house. Well, that's probably true. I couldn't have done this when my, when my kids were young. I mean, it, when the kids were babies, it would have been really hard to travel as much as I do. But one time somebody made a comment about the fact that, you know, oh, you travel so much kind of in front of my family. And I don't remember if it was my wife or my oldest daughter, but one of them pointed out that, well, when I'm gone, I am gone. But when I'm home, I'm actually more involved than when I actually had you know, a full-time regular corporate job. Because in those days, I would have to leave the house in order to beat traffic from my neighborhood through town. I'd have to leave home at 7 in the morning, and I wouldn't get home until sometimes close to 7 at night or if I had the client dinner or something like that. So I would be gone for these long stretches. And so while I travel for two and three days at a time, they've come to realize that when I'm home... I'm actually home, and I think when my younger daughter was in elementary school, I think I drove her to school, I think we figured out like 75 or 80% of the time, uh, as compared to my wife doing that, because I could take her in at 8 in the morning. i I set my own schedule.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, I mean, that, that you hear about the downsides a lot, but it's really nice that, I mean, even even with my partner working as much as the, he does, like the vet appointments, groceries, running errands, things like this, like they all just kind of pile up while I'm gone, but I really like doing those kind of things. Like that's my love language, right? Is it service, being able to do all these things and so I might only be home for 3 days, which means I have to do 5 loads of laundry and all the other chores and stuff that I do that contributes to our household. I get all those errands done, I feel accomplished and I feel like I've contributed something. So the freezer's full of food. Everything stocked. I even vacuumed when I was homeless last time. Wow,
0: that's crazy.
1: I moved the couch. What? Right. And then now I'm back on the road. So, um... I think I think that that's an important balance and and it's different for every relationship.
0: So besides just the travel, what other tips do you have for somebody who you know, if you're listening to a show called "Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do," my guess is, is that people have this desire to be an entrepreneur, maybe they're working a full- time job and they feel that they're butting heads, maybe they feel that they're sort of in a in a place they don't want to be, and they're thinking, "Wow, I wish I could launch out and and do anything, not just become a speaker or a consultant, but but one of many things they want to do. What advice would you have for somebody who's thinking, I want to go over there, be an entrepreneur?
1: I, I I have lots of advice, I think, which you probably don't have time for. But I think that there's a couple of roadblocks that prevent us from doing it. So one is that we typically don't believe that anything we have to say or that we want to do or the crafts that we make or the food that we make. There's some voice in us that makes us think that nobody else really wants this and that we're a lunatic for having this idea. Um, So just go, go for it. Like, just go for it. Now, with that said, I think a piece of advice I would also say is when you are an entrepreneur, you're in charge of your own sense of urgency. So watch how much money you're investing up front. Um, nothing is a number one priority. And I say that with confidence because when you're running a business, everything is a number one priority. And if everything's a number one priority, then you really can only do one thing at a time.
0: Well, and that's the thing I was really cautious of, probably more so than some of our peers and, or and friends or, or you. In, <laughs> <laughs> I was really cautious not to invest money until the business started making money. So my first website was a piece of crap. And I, I don't know. Can I say crap on this show? I guess it's my show. I haven't actually cussed yet. Which I, think I, is I can say amazing. anything I want. My first website was not that great, but uh, I did it until it got up and running and then I had someone take it to a second version and then a third version and now I think I'm on in seven years I think I'm on the fourth version of my website, but you get to keep updating and so I waited to invest a lot of money and You go to these seminars on how to grow a business and they have lots of of ways that you can market and a lot of them are Expensive and I just looked at these things that were fifteen twenty thirty thousand dollars and I just said I can't I can't do it so I bootstrapped Pretty much everything that I've done.
1: And I think that I wish I had done that. Um, I think that what I thought was that the website I needed to build was the one that I would have 30 years from then. And the reality is, is that my website changes every single day and technology changes. You wouldn't want to build a website for the future right now because it's going to look outdated in a very short period of time. I did not understand that. And I also came from a sales family, and so you gotta spend money to make money. And I must have said that, well, about $80,000 worth. And uh, now that I'm actually doing really well in my business, um, I don't get to enjoy the fruits of that physical labor, creative labor as much, because I'm paying off all this debt. Um, So I still feel really anchored by that. And it's to me, it was all about a sense of urgency that I needed to do everything immediately. Um, The other piece that I would say is, Uh, Be aware that it is an
0: anomaly that you make it instantaneously. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's right. The the myth of the overnight success. Right. I I think most entrepreneurs will tell you it takes (laughs) 10 years and people go, wow, look at Jessica. She's doing so fabulous. She's on the, you know, you drove by in your car. And now you're actually a board member of the National Speakers that's Association. True. That's true. And, you know, you're speaking a couple hundred times a year. People could drive by and look at Jessica, wow, she's doing so great. And they don't look at that nine years of debt and struggle and, you know, right. saying, please, somebody hire me.
1: Right. Marriage therapy, like all that stuff. Right. So it, I think it's really important to understand that the overnight success, the flash in the pan, uh, number one, they don't last as long. And number two, they make better stories. So that's why we only hear those
0: who Boy, was, that's, that, is, that is such great advice to remember. The people who are that rags to riches overnight, it sells newspapers or, or, or gets clicks on websites, but at the end of the day, it's not normal and...
1: Overnight has two meanings. Like it happened really fast and then it happened really fast, right? I want to be a slow burning wick that lasts a really long time, largely because I refuse to work at a desk again.
0: Well, that's interesting because a lot of people who become entrepreneurs always say that, you know, uh, in fact, uh, uh, Michael O'Neill from the Solopreneur Hour podcast, his tagline is um, proudly unemployable. And he talks about a lot. He talks a lot about the fact that, you know, his his army of followers and, and he has tens of thousands of people who listen to his podcast. You know, that's their mantra. and. I'm friends with with him and and with people in his group, and I always laugh that actually I don't know that I could never go back to a desk job I'm not looking for one, but if circumstances came along and, and I took a regular you know salaried job again, I always add that I would probably be the best employee anybody has ever had because this adventure of working for myself for now full-time over five years has taught me things I didn't know as an employee. And so I That's always true. say, well, while I, I hope that I continue to get to be a speaker and, and, and host this podcast and, and consult and coach and do all the things that I do uh, forever. I hope I do it until I'm in my 80s and that I always work for myself. But if circumstances ever put me back into a job, I would be the best employee
1: ever. I, I'm pretty positive I would not be the best employee ever because I think I'm still a pain in the pitacus. No. That pain yes. in the buttocks. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I have learned, though, and I think mostly this is working from other people's teams, is that the teams that are currently in place, everybody has their own agenda. And I think when I was unsuccessfully working in offices, I really what was only coming from my own perspective, my own point of view, and maybe that's also just maturity, but I've learned the importance of the 360 of a team, and I do think that I didn't even know that was a thing, and now I think I really, I see it and I see the power in working with the variables that you have in place right now, not the ideals, not like, when we're fully staffed with all the perfect people, then we can do something amazing, but with what we got right now, it's good enough, what can we do moving forward? Um, But I don't think I'd still want to do one-on-one staff meetings, (laughs) end-of-the-year reports. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: So when we work for ourselves and and you are the product as both you and I, you know, we're, we're the product that we sell to our customers. When you do that, it's really easy to get wrapped up in your own stuff, right? It's, it's you know, you got a new book or you have a new website. And that's or you're what work- your friends are for.
1: They're like, hi, back to reality. Yeah, yeah. You
0: <laughs> oh, look, you've put yourself on a pedestal. Let me kick the legs out from under you. But the truth is, it's really easy to get self-focused on all the projects and deadlines that, that we've set up for ourselves and trying to market and promote. So one of the things I like to ask People who come on to cool things entrepreneurs do is what are some what's something cool you see someone else doing in the world not something about your business but something you see someone else do that's cool.
1: Yeah, what I think is really exciting that I never expected. But once you're an entrepreneur, other entrepreneurs kind of find you and you kind of find them, and the creative energy that exists amongst entrepreneurs, I, I. I just thought that I needed medication or something. I didn't know that, like, this was productive and part of society. And so it's really cool. So I would say 90% of my friends now are entrepreneurs, um, mostly because we can deal with, like, speakerphone in rental cars and working at Starbucks as an office somewhere. But, I mean, even, like, Tom, like, you doing this. Like, you had this idea, and you're like, oh, huh! Let's see we can do this. And then you asked around other people, how do we do this? How do we blog? What equipment do I need? Bam, let's do this. And I really do think that that creativity isn't just in entrepreneurs, but I think that's where we're moving. You know, I was telling you uh, the other day about a TED Talk that I watched where the pattern used to be people go to get an MBA, get funding, and then they have an idea, And what's happening now is children are inventing things that are giving them ideas. And after multiples of those ideas, some of them get funded, and then maybe they go get an MBA. So um, I think that that creative juice, you know, that another person, Phil, is running around. He had a consulting job with an actual company, and so in some ways it seems like his speaking career kind of been put on hold, but the reality is, is that now he's using all of those amazing skills that he brought to his company inside of another company. So now he's traveling around the country just like he was before, but now he's on a mission
0: for this particular company. That's cool too. Well, and that's true because Phil's a good example of somebody who was an entrepreneur who has become an intrapreneur, Mm -hmm. but he is still doing unique and creative things out there and cool things just under the guise of working for a company. Right.
1: Or I think of like Sierra, for example, who was a techie person. I picture her in a basement with a bunch of like Cheetos or something doing programming work in the technology field, which I know nothing about and is now an entrepreneur helping people like me understand technology, but then also provides this great support network to other people, who are doing this stuff. So when the, I don't have an iPhone, what? I don't have an iPhone, so when the iPhone 6 came out, I just went to Sierra's Facebook page. And so what I think is really important to understand is that these cool things become, what you're doing as an entrepreneur is, it becomes who you are, and you become a go-to person for everyone, not just clients. So then what that means is that, that Sierra is sitting in a puddle of her like excitement, fascination, and passion, and helping people through that. like That's the coolest thing about being entre- being self-employed.
0: And I think one of the neat things is my favorite friends who are entrepreneurs are the ones who notice what the other people are doing. They, they pay attention. It's not just, oh, here's my widget, here's my widget. But in addition to doing their business, they they've expanded their universe to be aware of what other people are doing. And sometimes that inspires them back in their own business because they're watching what another entrepreneur does. It's not copying. It's just taking a... Uh, a, a blast of inspiration, and then morphing it into to a yeah, way to make their own business it's better. It's
1: a flip, and Tom, you're a great example of this too. Is is that none of us, at least who we hang out with, nobody's coming from a deficit model place. Everybody can help somebody else. You know, so when Jason's writing his book, like y'all, what what do you think? And we're writing some of the ideas and content for his book that's coming out. Like. By being able to support one another, showcase one another, I think that we're extending our message forward, the kind of the, the pay it forward process, except it's all the things that we care about more than life itself. You know, I just think that that's, how is that not cool?
0: Well, in getting to the idea of pay it forward, one of the things I love to see is how entrepreneurs give back. And sometimes when we think about giving back, people think of like Bill Gates giving billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did that. But yeah, well, I'm sure. But I <laughs> You know, to my,
1: American Express. Yes. yes, I've given <laughs> billions of dollars to my
0: credit card company. I'm
1: sending their children to college. But for me, <laughs> for me,
0: what I've found is that you don't have to be rich to impact society, to impact a charity, to impact a person. And so I always ask people, what is it that you're doing to give back? What's, how do you give back to the greater good?
1: Yeah. So what, what I think is really hard about that question for most people is, again, we don't think that we're doing enough. So we don't, we don't, I don't know if I really matter. Um, so whatever it is you're doing counts, right? So um, I donate a, uh, a lot of my time. I call it service. And part of that is the sorority that I'm a member of. One of the things that we're committed to is doing good and service for the rest of our lives. But uh, I average about 100 hours a quarter that's completely donated time through most of the skill sets that I have and my travel schedule. It's all administrative work. So I do phone, email, administrative support, bookkeeping support for two different organizations that don't have, they don't make enough money to even have staff, Um, so I'm kind of their volunteer admin person. Um, What's exciting about that, I think, is, is that it helps me learn new, tricks and trades and tools for my own business, but I also get to connect people to this organization I really believe in and have those conversations. So that's probably the first thing I do. Um, Another thing that I do that I think is really cool is I have facilitation guides that I email anybody. They just have to ask. I send them off as attachments for free. And so what I decided to do was I put them in my store on my website with pretty clear marking, whatever you end up paying for this is going to go straight into a scholarship fund. So now I'm starting to develop scholarship funds that students, staff, or faculty can actually apply for to go to conferences or their own professional development when those funds aren't available. Um, And that's been really fun too. And what's interesting is that I'm quote-unquote selling more of these guides than I was giving away for free because people also like to be attached to paying it forward or giving back.
0: Well, and it's, I I think it's true. And another thing that you do, just from the generosity of your heart, so I'm going to plug you here, is you're always willing to help people who want to learn about things that you know. Be that the the work you do in in diversity and social justice, or be it as, how do you become a speaker? I know that, you know, if someone wants to become or learn about our industry, I know that you're always willing to, you know, give a little bit of time, you know, without charging people. I mean, obviously as, as a coach and a consultant, you, you know, you like it when people pay you for your time. But I know that you're always willing to have a short conversation with somebody, and you know, thankfully, at this point in my podcast, we don't have a million listeners, or your phone, I'm sure, would be ringing off the hook.
1: <laughs> he just said
0: she'll talk to me for free, so you know, well, my- part
1: of that's being an extrovert. I'll talk to anybody for an hour because <laughs> I run out of people sometimes.
0: <laughs> so, so clearly, you know, my my three brothers and my dog will uh, be listening to this podcast <laughs> since it's still new. But I do like the fact that you're always willing to give people your time and I try to do the same thing. If people are interested in something that I know, I'm not going to start ticking that clock right away. It's Let's let's find out if there's a real love connection before I start charging and, and you're very generous with your time.
1: Well, I appreciate that but I also, I mean, I don't want to say but, I appreciate that and um, people do it for me. They still do it for me. Like a lot of times I think when people have been doing this for 10 years, they'll say like, oh, well back when I was new. Like you mean earlier today, I'm still learning stuff Like, and I think that My friends make time for me, and I make friends for them. I make space for them, and then sometimes strangers get in the mix. Um, I I just expect that, and largely just to be self-aggrandizing, I guess. I remember the people very early on who said that I could call them and never called me back, and I think my word is really important. Um, I think integrity is really important, and I know that, like, emails can get lost or, like, Oh, I had a post it note with her phone number on it. Please call me back. I forgot. Like, that totally happens to me. Um, and I remember what it felt like when I didn't get called back when they said I could call them. And I don't want to do that.
0: Well, and a lot of people, I one of the things I teach in my training is what I call, what I, I've dubbed, uh, follow-through DNA and a lot of people in our society just don't have it. They they come out and say, oh sure, I'll help you. Oh, you know, give me a call. I'll call you back and help you. And then they never do. And it's not that they even don't want to. It's that they get so caught up in themselves that they never follow through on the other little things that aren't directly affecting their bottom line. And you have follow through DNA in spades. You're always good at following through on the things you say you're going to do.
1: Well, it takes one to know one. Thank so, uh, Captain Networker, you also know that after you go to, here's another tip, when you go to a conference or a meeting or a big event, chances are you're going to meet some new people. And if you aren't, you're doing it wrong. So the week following an event, I keep my calendar pretty light so that as I'm following up with people that I met at that event, I have the space to do that follow-up too. Like think ahead for yourself so that you're not completely overwhelming your own schedule.
0: That's right. You have, to, you have to own the follow-up and you have to plan for the follow-up.
1: Right. It's called networking even after they left.
0: Yes, absolutely. I know a little bit about that. True. So I want to say thank you to Jessica Pettit for being one of my first guests on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. It has been a lot of fun. It's actually been fun to sit here and do this interview. You know, One of the things I'm trying to do is find my voice as I do these podcasts, and it was a lot easier to sit here and actually talk to somebody face-to-face than it would be to actually be on a Skype call. So I think I'm going to do more of these interviews where we pull someone into my kitchen and we, we have a chat. So thank you for being the guinea pig for this. How can people find out if they want to hire you, if they say, my company needs that lady, you know, my university needs that person, how can they find Jessica Pettit?
1: Sure, so you can go to jessicapettit.com. Uh, Pettit has four T's. Think of it like a dog, pet it. Uh, you can go there and find my website. Uh, you can also send me a text message. That's what I've been doing. It's uh, so my texting number. Anyone listening to this, including your dog, can text message me at 202-670-4262. And as I tell all of my clients and participants, if I don't know the answer, I will make it up or find one for you. Thanks so
0: much. Thanks, thanks Jessica, for being here on the show. And thank you for listening to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. As I said, I'm really having fun doing this. We're, we're trying to find the voice. We're trying to make sure we get the audio set right so every every show is getting a little bit better. Thank you for uh, tuning in, and please tell your friends and go ahead and and go to iTunes and leave a, a rating and review saying, wow, what a great show. That would make me very happy. So this is uh, the conclusion of this episode. That was cool. Thank you very much, and have a great day